Hi, this is Jamie Costello, and welcome to another episode of the Cothogenic Chill. In this episode, I'm speaking with Dr. Dan Stickler. Dan is a physician who's pioneering personalized programs for health based on genetics. Dan shares with me in this episode that genes were the missing link to helping his patients achieve their health goals. He provides his patients with personalized programs for diet, supplements, exercise, all based on their genetic profile. This episode is a little crazy and might make your head throb a bit with all the new ideas and thoughts and the misperceptions you've been led to believe about genes. You'd be shocked to hear, for instance, how easy it is to turn genes on and off and how some supplements you might have taken to reduce inflammation can actually cause more inflammation based on your genetics. So let's get into it and I'll be back at the end of the show with some more details. Today my conversation is with my friend and mentor, Dr. Daniel Stickler. Dr. Stickler is a pioneer in the advancement of human potential medicine. He's a physician and coach to the highest achievers with clients from nearly every state and several foreign countries. Dr. Stickler is sought after because he helps clients find their own hidden potential. He has pioneered the clinical application of genetics in his practice to develop personalized programs for nutrition, supplements, and exercise to achieve peak performance. He is nationally recognized for his contributions to this rapidly developing field of personalized medicine. Dan has been training me in the clinical application of genetics. Dan, we're excited to talk to you today and to have you give us an update on what's going on in this field of genetics and epigenetics, and maybe to tell us some success stories. Well, thanks for being uh, here with us today. Hey, Jamie, I'm excited to be here. You, you kind of caught me right before a workout, so I uh, wasn't sure this was gonna be video, but that's okay. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's okay, no worries. So, first of all, just as a bit of background for our listeners, you're a general vascular surgeon. What got you interested in uh, going down this field of genetics? Well, it was kind of a serendipitous type of thing. I mean, I was I spent 10 years as a general vascular surgeon with, with a focus on gastric bypass. So I did over 3,000 weight loss surgery operations during that time. But surgery was generally not my first choice. I, I had wanted to be a neurosurgeon. I backed out of the residency position to the last minute because I felt it was limiting. But the whole motivation for going into medicine was to improve quality of life for people. And I know that sounds altruistic and all this, but and everybody says that that goes into medicine. But my, my goal was not to be treating disease. My goal was to be optimizing a human being. And what I found when I got to medical school was that everything was disease-based. Um, it was, you know, even preventative care was how do we prevent disease? It's not how do we make the human being better? And so I became disenchanted and I looked at the different options that were available and I could do primary care medicine, internal medicine, where you basically just postpone death by intervening in disease states or, or identifying early marks of disease states and right. intervening. It wasn't about getting someone to a higher level of, of existence per se. And so I chose surgery because I saw surgery as, okay, well, at least I can improve quality of life for somebody who has a temporary setback. And then I found gastric bypass surgery and I thought this is the greatest thing in the world. You know, I can take right. somebody who's overweight with a low quality of life and improve their quality of life. 
And it was great at first until after doing it for 10 years, I realized that the success rates were not what you really see. And it wasn't that we weren't trying. I mean, we had one of the most comprehensive follow-up programs and education programs in the country. I was actually traveling the country, training other centers to do what we did. But just one day at the end of 2009, I walked out of the OR and I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I had started doing age management medicine on the side. And I really liked that. That was the first step towards human potential medicine, which is what we do now. But I couldn't do the surgery anymore. So I walked away from that and, and the rest is history. I've, I've gradually developed my practice to become this human potential model. And, you know, we can get into the genetics if, if you want to go down that road and how that happened too. Well, I know you, I've heard you tell me many times that you felt the missing link in healthcare was genetics. And so maybe you can ex- explain that a little bit and how that ties into your what, how you define your practice as human potential medicine versus other people as anti-aging or longevity medicine. Well, the in, interesting aspect, the, the way I got into genetics was out of frustration. I had people bringing me 23andMe data, and this was eight, nine years ago, and they were asking me questions about some stuff they were getting in reports, and I, I had no idea. I mean, I didn't even know what a single nucleotide polymorphism was. Uh, it wasn't something we learned in medical school. And certainly, uh, the education in the medical schools now still is not addressing genomic-based medicine. So it was, it was a self-learning process. I started taking courses online from different universities around the world, like on Coursera, and the more I got into it, the more I realized how frustrating genetics was because one study would say, oh, this, this variant means this. And then another study would con- completely contradict it. And I said, there, there is no common sense to this. So it became a true obsession for me to make sense of it. Uh, traveled to Europe and did the summer school in nutrigenomics over there where all the, the world's top researchers in the field came together to present. And I had long conversations with many of them. Martin Kohlmeyer at uh, University of North Carolina, he's one of the top leaders in nutrigenomics. Long conversations with him, read every paper I could get my hands on. I mean, you can talk to my staff, my coaches on my staff. I send them like 10 articles a day on new things that are coming out because this field's just growing so fast. But what it is, is, I mean, genomics gives us this human blueprint, this it's, it's truly a personalized blueprint for each person. And what we've found is that beyond the disease model, we can look at this and say, hey, we can look at a person's genomics and figure out what kind of diet is going to work best for them in most cases. We can figure out what kind of exercise patterns work best for them in most cases. It's this really awesome kind of secret code that, that you can get into for each individual. And we've been doing this now for six years, looking at it. And the variants that we look at, I mean, we have vetted them over 1,500 patients. So we know that they have high correlation with the clinical model. And there's where you get the disconnect is you don't have, you have the researchers doing the research on this genetic stuff, uh, but you don't have the, the application in the clinical model. And, and I think that's what we've bridged with what we're doing here. I think one of the interesting things to me is when you talk to people about genetics or when I was growing up, when you hear about genes, you think, well, I I got those from my parents and that's what I'm stuck with. And so I can't change it. I'm going to, you know, this is fate. This is the way it is. 
But obviously, there's now I know there's this epigenetic factor. And so if you share with us a little bit about how exercise or different nutritional changes can actually activate or inactivate genes that you want to, uh, to make this program not just what God gave you, but you, what you want it to be to achieve your peak performance. And that, that's a key point, Jamie, that, you know, genomics is not the, the end-all, be-all. It's not the answer. And one gene doesn't equal one response. These genes all interact with each other. And we're only looking at specific base pairs within genes, within thousands of base pairs within a gene. And then on top of that, you have this, this template called the epigenome, which I like to, to use the example. It's like a, a dimmer switch so you can turn it on you can turn it off you can turn it up and you can turn down the expression so you've got all these capabilities of altering the expressions of genes and so we're no longer in this realm of oh this is my destiny because this is what my parents gave me that's not the case anymore and we know this from the science the science has now proven this i mean we know that if you exercise six months if you do an exercise program you can epigenetically change the expression of over 6,000, and I think now they're saying 7,000 genes. Well, we only have 23,000 right. genes in the entire human genome, and, and we can change a third to a quarter, a quarter to a third of those? I mean, that's amazing. But it, it can also work the opposite way. I mean, if you lose one night of sleep, you will change the epigenetic expression of the clock gene, which is your circadian rhythm. And it is a very important gene. You know, you want to talk about the importance of sleep. It is a high priority. And so you want to make sure, number one, you have good, good variations of the genes for sleep, which is one of the templates we look at. But also understanding that when we identify the areas that might not be optimal, we have epigenetic lifestyle aspects that we can educate the, the clients on how to improve on that. On top of that, you have hormones. I mean, hormones are one of the most potent epigenetic modifiers that are out there, uh, especially estrogen. And, you know, that's for males and females. Estrogen is a really important hormone to have healthy. Stress. Stress is huge with epigenetic modification. So, Every time you're experiencing the physiologic responses of stress, you're usually negatively impacting the expressions of genes. Even if you have like super high quality genes that, that don't give you the variants that can give you problems, you can make them bad for yourself by, by experiencing certain aspects like stress and sleep deprivation and poor nutrition and all that stuff. So one of the interesting things is during this period in time, you know, I didn't know anything about this either until we got together at that American Anti-Aging Conference in Las Vegas. But uh, there have been a number of consumer, direct-to-consumer models that have uh, shown up in this period in time. And I know they're completely different, but hopefully you'll explain to us how they work. And basically, I know what they do is you load your data in a program and it comes back and it says you're this way. But now, based on what you just said, we know that's not necessarily true because of these modifying factors. So how do you, when you communicate to the clients in your practice, how, do, how, does your, how do you apply this genetic data and these epigenetic factors in communicating your personalized program to your clients? 
Well, let me address the direct-to-consumer model first because it's an important one to understand. I mean, I applaud these guys that had jumped on this early and uh, they are true entrepreneurs in the field and, and they had good intentions with it. But unfortunately, direct-to-consumer model is not the ideal model for somebody who really wants to optimize. I mean, it's like the difference between having a scale in the bathroom and having a DEXA scan that measures body composition. Uh, the direct-to-consumer model will give you the weight, but it won't give you the composition. Genes work in a, in a way that we tend to oversimplify. And when I say that, I'm talking about when you do a direct-to-consumer model, you submit a saliva sample or you submit your data from 23andMe and it kicks back, oh, you should be eating this diet and you should be exercising this way because you have this kind of muscle mass. Well, they're basing that on a very limited number of gene variations. And when I say a very limited number, I'm talking about they're looking at maybe 12 gene variations in the potential 50,000 base pairs. So it's, it's a very tiny amount. And... Like I said, one gene doesn't equal, X doesn't equal Y. It's X plus 10 other letters together constitute the response Y. And on top of that, you have to take into account epigenetics. So you may carry a gene variant, but you may have that gene turned off. I mean, how do you determine that? We don't have a test to test for that. So really understanding genomics requires interactions with a, a coach or a person who understands the interplay of the genes with the environment, with the epigenome. All of this has to be taken into account. You can't just say, oh, you can do this. I, I had one client that was told that they were okay doing a paleo or, right. um, or Adkins diet. And sure enough, it came back that if they ate high fat, they were going to be prone to heart disease and, and uh, 12 times standard risk for, for Alzheimer's disease. So it was not the best type of advice that they could be getting on that direct-to-consumer model. And they're getting a little bit better with that, but they're still far off from that interaction that's really needed with an with a epigenetic coach that gives them that, um, that extra piece, that knowledge that they can use to, to really make a difference in their, in their outcome. I mean, I got completely away from weight loss because I said nothing works. Surgery doesn't work. I also did bariatrics, so I did medical weight loss and evaluated over 10,000 patients with that. And I walked away from a, I mean, a really lucrative and successful career in bariatrics. And I just did it because I couldn't continue doing it. It didn't work. And now I'm actually back into weight loss with the genomics because this was the missing piece. The, the genomic data is actually able to show us, oh, this person will do better with a higher carbohydrate intake and losing weight. Or this person needs to really avoid saturated fats and focus on monounsaturated. Or this person needs higher protein or lower protein. We're able to see things in the genomics that were previously hidden or that you had to trial and error over years to try to find the answer to. Yeah, well, I think it's very interesting. And let's get into some of those specifics. And today we'll probably only have time to talk about a couple of the templates, but the nutrition and diet and the supplements. And uh, since we're talking about proteins, fats, and carbs, you know, most people I think who look to diet read that, boy, maybe I should be on the Mediterranean diet or the paleo diet or ketogenic diet. But uh, what you find potentially is through your analysis, is that maybe 
low fats doesn't work for you. Maybe it should be high fats. And then you find, like in my case, where if I eat more than 6% of the polyunsaturated fats, it's bad for me. I should be eating more of the monounsaturated fats. And so it's, it's a, a much more directed program when we can get into the genes, talk about some of these lifestyle factors people have, and then apply a personalized program to help them improve in these areas. Yeah, I mean, we've, I can't tell you how many people have come to me. Uh, I used to be really big in the paleo world. I spoke of paleo FX and um, blogged about, I mean, heck, I was paleodoc.com forever. And I had all of these clients that would come up to me and they're like, you know, I'm eating paleo and I'm gaining weight or I'm, I'm not losing any weight and everybody else is being successful and here I am, I can't do it. What is it with me? What's wrong with me that I can't do it? And um, in each of those patients, we have found that it's coded in their genetics. I mean, I've found people who uh, just cannot do saturated fat and expect to lose weight. I have found people who actually have to have the carbohydrates in order to lose abdominal fat. We call that one the uh, gene that's a marker for fat burning in the flame of a carbohydrate. And people kind of like when they have that one. Yeah. Um, But we've we've got, I mean, just it's it's so nice to be able to shortcut these processes. We've got genes that code for insulin resistance. And I mean, despite the fact I had a client that was doing like a full ketogenic diet, I mean, like zero carbs and had high ketone levels. I mean, she was a biohacker testing her ketones every day. And for almost 18 months, we couldn't get her to lose any weight. We tried all these different diets and, you know, we figured at least ketogenic would work because it seemed like she had insulin resistance. And even on a ketogenic diet, her fasting blood sugars were up near 100. Her (laughs) hemoglobin A1C was 5.6. I mean, those are just not numbers you expect in ketogenic. And we did her uh, genetics. And what it came down to was that she had all these genes that coded for insulin resistance. So despite the fact that she was managing a good lifestyle, she was kind of put behind the eight ball with her genomics. And So in that situation, what we do is we apply what we call nutrigenomics, where you actually can supplement something to enhance the or alter the expression of the genes. So you shift them through a nutrient. And for her, what we worked with were certain nutrients that are insulin sensitizers. And sure enough, she started on that. And within uh, three months, she had lost eight pounds of fat, which she hadn't done previously. Uh, in the previous 18 months. And, you know, here I, I feel like I'm pretty much a, of an expert in weight loss. I mean, after 10 years of bariatrics and bariatric surgery, you know, I, I felt pretty comfortable with getting somebody to lose weight. And I was just so frustrated with, with working with her. And, and I mean, most docs would have looked at this person and said, you know, you're not, you're not compliant. Right. That's the normal thing that they would say. And, and it wasn't. I mean, she was. She's in tears, telling me how how well she's following this stuff and not getting a response. And she was so happy when we were able to show her in the in the genomics what was going on and and actually fix it. Yeah, I think it's so amazing. There's so many docs out there that for years espouse this theory that you know 3,500 calories equals a pound, and if you just <laughs> cut your calories, doesn't matter what the percentage of protein, fat, or carbs is you're going to lose weight. And of course, they've disproven that. It it doesn't work. You can either gain the weight back or lose the weight or not. And so that's why I think this program really is effective 
because it tells people that percentage of proteins, fats, and carbohydrates, and really drills down to give them a program that works for them. Right, and we have seen really high, high accuracy with what we're seeing in the in the genes and what we're seeing with the patient's response. And, and beyond the, the, that dietary approach, I mean, when we look at a weight loss template, we're also looking at things that control metabolism. So we'll see people who have really low metabolisms or people who have food addictions and we can actually correct by understanding where that food addiction is coming from in the genes. We can, we can help them to, to kind of improve on that. And we look at exercise, which exercise gives the best response for fat loss, fat burning. There's actually some people that will gain or they'll lose muscle and gain fat with weight training. And you can see that in the genes. There's certain genes that code for that. And they're the person who has been going to CrossFit and working out really hard at CrossFit. And they're gaining weight, fat weight, and losing muscle despite the fact that everybody around them is having the opposite effect. So they get frustrated and, and think that there's something wrong with them. And it's not. It's just that they have to kind of work with the with, within that realm of the genes that they have and work to change expression in certain cases of some that, uh, that can allow them to do what they're wanting to do. I put together this special series of conversations with some of the leaders in integrative healthcare to give you the tools I used to achieve optimal health. If you want to regain your youthful energy and look and feel years younger, my company, Clothogenics, can apply the discoveries in gene science to your genetic profile to determine the best diet, supplements, and exercise program for your body and its metabolic factors. We analyze 260 different gene variants to prepare a truly individual program for you for diet, exercise, and supplements to achieve optimal health. You also get a 90-minute consultation to discuss your program and we can arrange follow-up consultations to answer questions, provide updates, and to discuss your progress. Call me today at 1-866-761-7773 or go to my website, clothogenics.com, K-L-O-T-H-O-G-E-N-I-C-S, to find out how easy it is to get your genetic profile and get started. There is no better way to achieve your health goals than this. I was interested too in, you know, still thinking about this diet and nutrition model for cholesterol synthesis. It was very interesting that some people, there's a gene in there where some people, if they eat the uh, low carb diet, they're gonna actually improve their HDL. So for mm -hmm. all the people out there who have low HDL or drinking a bottle of wine a night, uh, this is a potential maybe just to go on a low-carb diet if they have this gene variant to improve their HDL or vice versa. Uh, you know, if they're on the high-carb diet, it's going to increase their HDL or I'm sorry, LDL. So right. I, I think, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of other things that can come out of this besides just dieting. Yeah, and depending on the genes you look at, I mean, you have to, and, and this is where it's so important to have somebody that can can be that buffer to to read the genomics. I mean, it's like a foreign language. You know, I'll read somebody's genetics and, and sure enough, I'll have one gene that says, well, they need to eat high carb and then another gene that says, no, no, they absolutely have to be low carb. 
And so you're, you're going, okay, well, what takes priority here? Well, you don't get that in the direct-to-consumer model. In the direct-to-consumer model, they'll pick which gene they want to look at, and they'll give you that recommendation. But I look at all these genes. I mean, you know, the templates you and I use for nutrition, I mean, there's 75 genetic variations that we're looking at. And we know which ones have higher priority than others. And that's the difference is that, that, that looking at the entire forest rather than picking apart a couple trees and, and giving a recommendation. And, and it is interesting because it, it's counterintuitive to what a lot of people think. It's like vitamin E supplementation. I mean, I can't count how many people have increased inflammation with Me. vitamin E supplementation. Yeah, you were one of them. Yeah. Uh, so you don't want to supplement with vitamin E in those cases, but it's not across the board. I mean, just because you don't doesn't mean I don't. You've got to look at the genetics and see who's going to have the, the response that you're looking for in that. It's just, I mean, it's an amazing field and it's growing. I mean, I've had, I had a conversation with Nicola Parastu who ran the genomic-based weight loss study in Europe uh, two years ago. And they had 33% greater weight loss in people who followed a diet that was matched to their genomics versus those that were not. I mean, that is huge. And it's not the only study. I mean, you have the interleukin study uh, that they use the Stanford A to Z study data and they followed up with genomics and looked at who followed a diet that was correlated with their genomic blueprint. You know, who, who was on a diet that matched what would have been predicted. And they found huge, I mean, it was like 200% greater weight loss in the gene-based diet group. I mean, amazing results. Yeah. Well, I think the, the typical approach for a guy like me who came from the biohacker world would be trial and error. Mm -hmm. Could take a long time to figure out what works for you. But uh, as you and I both know, there's a big difference between being fit and being fit and healthy. And so when you add the genetics to it, you have the opportunity to be fit and healthy because uh, like in the vitamin E example you just brought up, who would have known that I'm supplementing with vitamin E, but yet it's causing me inflammation. I, I'm taking it to lower my inflammation. Or right. uh, there's that other weird one I had, which is vitamin D. I'm, I'm taking vitamin D to get to the optimal level on the test that my physician would normally test for, but it turns out I have large amount of the active metabolite and I have too much. Right, so, you could be toxic at a lower level, at a level that's considered low on the one that most physicians look at. Yeah, I find that interesting. Now, there's another part in the diet nutrition supplement I thought was very interesting, which is dealing kind of with this appetite and satiety and more of the brain and how it impacts your diet and when people stop eating and the strategies you might implement there, uh, whether it be fiber, fiber or more frequent meals. So those are things you you pick up in looking at these templates too as well, correct? Right. I mean, we look at all aspects. So we're looking at appetite. We're looking at dietary uh, macronutrient selection, so the carbs, fat, and protein. We look at hunger and satiety. We look at sugar uh, perception and sugar addictions. We look at metabolism. We look at lactose intolerance. And we look at insulin resistance. I mean, we're, we're hitting multiple areas that have to do with you know, what constitutes optimal nutrition for a person. 
and you know some very interesting genes in the in the food addiction realm and it explains a lot for some people that they they feel like they have a weakness of willpower when it truly is in their genes and and it's interesting to see their responses when you tell them you know what it's not necessarily willpower it's just that you have a genetic predisposition to this addiction and when you take sugar you tend to turn this gene, this gene gets activated in, the, in an area of the brain that causes you to eat without inhibition. The one gene is the TAS2R38, and I see quite a few variants of this, and it, about 90% of the people that I find this one variant in, they're the person who will go and eat an Oreo cookie, and then they'll finish the bag without even right. batting an eye, not even realizing they're doing it. And in that situation, you say, well, what do you do for somebody like that? Well, there's a couple of things you can do. I mean, you can, you can focus on increasing dopamine levels in the brain so that they don't need that drive to create more dopamine. Or you can look at it and say, let's, let's take a situation and say, okay, don't put yourself in a situation where you have unlimited access to the sweet. Have a dessert at dinner, but don't go to the store and buy a bag of cookies. That's the way you can kind of come around from a lifestyle standpoint. But once they they see that they're prone to that from a genetic standpoint and it's not willpower because a lot of these people will say, oh, you know, I'm going to overcome this, so I'm going to put myself in a position where I have to. And that, it's not going to work for them. They're, and, and then they look at themselves as failures because they weren't able to do it. Yeah. It's no fun that way. And when you can show them, you know, it's a genetic thing, you know, get over it. This is, this is something that, that you're coded to do. So here's what you can do to avoid that happening. That's powerful, powerful mm -hmm. stuff. And so talking a little bit more about vitamins. So we know these B vitamins, folate. We talk about things like methylation, which probably more than this show needs today. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, these B vitamins are critically important in this whole process. And so one of the things we look at in these gene templates is people and how well they process the B vitamins and folate and all that. So how important is that? And, you know, what do we, what do we typically find there? Well, what we're mainly looking at is, do you need to supplement with additional vitamins in different areas? So we're looking at B12, B6, vitamin D, vitamin C, choline, selenium, magnesium. So we look at the genes that code for aspects of how do you absorb this stuff? Do you have enough transport proteins for this stuff? Do you uh, deliver it to the cells well? Do you activate it? Do you break it down? So we look at genes that affect different aspects of the micronutrients. And even in micronutrient selection, like we do a lot of work with B12, uh, we have a lot of genes that we look at, the absorption from the gut. We look at what form of B12 is going to work best. So can you activate the cyanocobalamin form of B12 into the methylcobalamin form? Well, if, if you can do that, that's great, but then you got to look downstream and see, you know, do you handle methyl donors well? So let's say you have a, a MTHFR issue and you can't methylate folate uh, or B12 very well. You're going to be told you need methyl B12. Well, that can really put some people over into anxiety and, and agitation and nervousness if they have a defect in a gene downstream called COMT. So we've got to look at those as well. So when we're looking at B12 supplementation, we're not only looking at, 
you know, do, do your genes code for a need for higher levels? Do they code for a need for supplementation because you don't absorb it well? Uh, do you recycle it too aggressively? You know, are you like an SUV when it comes to B12 or are you like a hybrid? And then we look at the type of B12. So we can use um, uh, cyanocobalamin, methylcobalamin, hydroxycobalamin, and we determine which is the best form of supplementation for you. And again, this isn't an exact science. This isn't like, okay, well, this is exactly what you need. This is based on probabilities. These are probabilities based on genome-wide association studies that say there is a correlation between this and this response. Yeah. I think another one that's interesting there is vitamin A. And so those fat-soluble genes that our physicians told us about as kids that we have to be careful with, we think, well, maybe... Uh, in, and in my case, again, I don't really convert carotene into vitamin A. And so mm -hmm. when you find people aren't converters, maybe I need to supplement with vitamin A. But I know as uh, young adults, we're all taught, whether it's vitamin D or vitamin A, be careful. So people out there today might look at their multivitamins, say that's the most I'm ever going to take. Uh, but in fact, maybe they're not getting enough vitamin A or vitamin D or or some of those fat soluble vitamins. Now, we have some multivitamins that only provide the beta carotene form of vitamin A, which most people say, oh, that's the healthy natural form of vitamin A. But you have to realize that our body has to convert beta carotene to active form of vitamin A. And so we look at the genes that actually control that. If you don't have really good conversion, and this is an interesting topic because I have a, an optometrist that sends me patients, young patients that have early macular degeneration and she wants me to check their genetics. This is kind of a kind of a little project that we have going. And sure enough, the ones that have early macular degenerations are people that have that BCMO1 gene that's not optimal. So they're not converting beta carotene. Uh, so she's putting them on supplemental vitamin A on top of the beta carotene. Now, a lot of multivitamins will have both beta carotene and vitamin A, and it's usually sufficient for people. But all natural forms of vitamin A are going to be in the form of beta carotene. Yeah, I think it's very interesting because macular degeneration scares the heck out of people. And uh, people take lutein and, you know, the uh, AREDS2 formula, assuming that that's working. But they're all right. carotenes. There is no vitamin A in there. So you're, you're doing what you think is best, but it may not be helping you at all. And there's very few blood tests that physicians ever order to determine if you have that, those carotenes in your body, even though the tests are available. So what about, the, you mentioned just before about hormones and their interaction with, uh, with genes. And I know estrogen. So there's toxic estrogens and more protective ones. So what do we find when we're looking at genes as it relates to these hormones? Well, one of the important things that we want to look at in the estrogens is, are we dealing with, when estrogen breaks down into estrone, which is the basic form, there's a 2-hydroxy and a 4-hydroxy estrone. And what we can look at in the genetics is the the genes that code for the enzymes that that stimulate that conversion. And you want to make sure that you've got that really awesome conversion into the non-carcinogenic forms of, of estrone. And if you don't, you want to make sure you're supplementing to drive the estrone to the, to the less toxic 
beneficial forms of it. So by doing supplementation, and this again is nutrigenomics, this is actually taking a nutrient to alter the function or expression of a gene, you can actually drive it down that pathway to, to create the more beneficial forms of the estrogen breakdown products. Key process. You know, a lot of people today in anti-aging medicine are into uh, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, but it's key that you're replacing it with the proper hormones and directing mm-hmm. them down the proper pathways. So I know we talked about a lot of genes today. We got into some specifics, but are there any ones that you particularly enjoy looking at or you always <laughs> look at? Or, uh, How with, about Clotho? Yeah, Clotho is <laughs> one, yeah. <laughs> Clotho is a really amazing gene because it is the one everybody wants. It's the longevity gene. And we're not sure why it causes longevity, but what we know is in genome-wide association studies, if they look at the people that are over 80 years old, there's a high percentage of people that carry this one variant of the Clotho gene. And if you look at the the population under the age of 60, there's a high or a very low percentage of people who carry that variant. So what it tells us is that all the people who don't carry that variant die off. So having that that the what we call the GT variant of Clotho is a gene that predicts longevity. And it's actually a vitamin D related gene. It, it feeds back to decrease the the production of active form of vitamin D. And some people will biohack and try to take more activated form so that they can induce clotho to to create to be secreted more, which is what you get with this gene variant. But that's not necessarily the right way to do it. I'm I'm not ready to jump on calcitriol to to right. boost my longevity quite yet. Yeah, that's funny. Well, where is this whole field going? So, you know, there's obviously we're now kind of past anti-aging. We think we're in this age of potentially age reversal. And you're in the very pioneering stage of this whole clinical application of genetics. What do you see happening in the next few years? <laughs> well, you know, I interview all these people that are that are on the cutting edge of 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 this this field, uh, you know Josh Middledorf and uh, David Sinclair and uh, Aubrey de Grey. So I get the, kind of the inside stories on on what's going on. And honestly, I mean, if you if you want my my true opinion of what's going to happen, I think within ten years we are no longer going to have um, disease. The the traditional doctors in the disease model are going to become dinosaurs they are no longer going to be needed. Uh, we're going to get such amazing results with this genetic work from the gene editing using CRISPR technology to understanding epigenome expressions. I mean, heart disease, cancer, all of the chronic diseases are going to disappear. And we're going to be, I mean, you saw that they're testing Olympic athletes in Rio for gene doping this year. Did you see that? I did see that. It's kind of, I mean, it's sort of interesting, right? I mean, once it gets into the athletic realm, it's, it's game on. Uh, these guys are already doping with gene editing. It's unbelievable. It is. And it's such an exponential growth that I would say within five years, we're going to see eradication of things like heart disease and cancer within 10 years, probably every chronic disease in the human 
body is going to be treatable and accessible, reversible, uh, even aging. I think within 10 years, we're going to see a substantial reverse aging capability with this genetic work. Yeah, obviously, I read about it every day, too, and it's just unbelievable to me, the CRISPR gene editing stuff and what they're... uh what they're treating. And interesting thing about that is this concept of heritability. And so once you change this gene, when it duplicates, it is heritable to the next gene. So if you do this, it's not like it's the maintenance treatment that you would have been on uh, with a drug for the rest of your life. You change it once and it changes it forever. It's there. Yep. It's unbelievable. So I know you're an avid reader. And there's a lot of people out there who we we talked about a lot of things today that are very sophisticated and I'm sure shocked people. Are there any books out there you'd recommend people potentially read or uh, in this area if they, you know, obviously I want to have you uh, talk about what people should do. But in terms of getting more information on this topic, is there some general version of a book out there people should read? Uh, well, we should have a book out by, by the end of the year. <laughs> Perfect. I like it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's some really cool books out there. Uh, there's Evolving Ourselves. Um, I can't think of the author of uh, that one. And Josh Middeldorf actually just, just released a book. This one here. Oh, I just got interesting. It. Uh, but Josh is a guy I interviewed. Cracking the Aging Code by Josh Middeldorf. You know, I interviewed Josh about a month ago. I haven't put his podcast up, but it's an amazing interview. I mean, Josh is a uh, PhD astrophysicist that works on the mathematical models of aging and the game theory of um, of the aging model, which is fascinating stuff. Uh, the guy's brilliant. I haven't read the book yet, but I'm looking forward to to what I what I find in it. And I, I read that book by Deepak Chopra, that super genius, yeah. which I thought super was. Genius. Uh, uh, great book too. Yeah, interesting. And, and and I have to emphasize that first half is really awesome, but um, the second half when he starts getting into dietary advice. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Um, yeah, I'd step away from it at that point. But the first half is awesome. Yeah, very good. Well, listen, Dan, I really appreciate your time today. Your program's helping a lot of people to achieve this epic life and peak performance. And uh, we really thank you for all the research you're doing. And so if people want to do more, what's your recommendation of, of what they should do? Do they go get their genes tested now? What do you think well, they should do? Yeah. I mean, if you want something right away, uh, get the 23andMe testing done and, you know, give Jamie a call because Jamie's got all these templates. Uh, he's, he's a trained epigenetic expert and uh and can give you these translations uh he's he's currently working with me and we're we're reviewing the genes together um, for his clients at at the moment Uh, but the 23andme data can be extracted and loaded up into our templates which is really awesome now we've got some pretty exciting stuff coming in the next couple months we're going to be adding genetic templates for exome and and potentially uh full genome analysis yeah very good Well, Dan, thanks again. I really appreciate it. It's great seeing you and uh, great chatting with you today about our futures. Yeah, you too. Have an epic day. You too. See you, Dan. Thanks a lot.